0: Hey watchers, today's episode is a gritty police procedural that features one of the best car chases ever made. Leading man Steve McQueen was not only a famous movie star at the time, but also a top-rated race car driver. So get ready for some swingin' jazz and sweet muscle cars, because it's time for 1968's crime action thriller, Bullet. Welcome to the Midnight Watch Podcast, the show where we
1: discuss classic, cult, and modern classic movies. We're your hosts Jeremy and Josh Baruto, and we review movies that are at least 10 years old. Fair warning, we're big on spoilers here, straight from the get-go. We rate these movies in four categories. Number one,
0: the level of impact and success it had when it was released. Number two, how relevant is it today? Number three, our own personal enjoyment of this movie. And number four,
1: is it a Midnight Watch? What is a Midnight Watch? It's a film which completely captures your attention, drawing you in. No matter what time or what part you start watching the movie, you have to finish it.
0: Steve McQueen, The King of Cool. This is Bullet, directed by Peter Yates, and I didn't write what the screenplay was. Dang
1: it. Anyway,
0: <laughs> do, you know, do you know who the screenplay was written by?
1: Screenplay by Alan Trustman, Harry Kleiner, and Robert L. Fish.
0: Okay, so yes, back to basically. Also, Robert Fish was the original writer of the book *Mute Witness*, which this movie is based off of. Uh, did you happen to read that book, Josh?
1: I have not. Me neither. I'd never
0: heard of it before yesterday. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, it had a budget of four million and a box office of return of forty-two point three million. That is that's some uh, some good return there, especially in nineteen sixty-eight yeah. when this came out.
1: Yeah, I mean, just just doing the math on it. I mean, that's that's a huge return. Oh
0: yeah, absolutely. Let's see. This is starring Steve McQueen, Jacqueline Bissett, Robert Vaughn, Robert Duvall, Don Gordon, and Simon Oakland. So there's a there's a lot of interesting facts about this movie. This is a, I think this movie is interesting for, for I would say two specific reasons. Like number one, the thing I heard about this movie before I ever saw it was this has the ultimate car chase in it and that's right. why this movie's super famous. And then number 2, another reason why it's famous is one of the first movies to have a, a really a, an awareness of realism in it. There's actually no movie sets in this movie. It's all shot on location in San Francisco. And which is really impressive. Right. That I'm sure that saved oh, you yeah. a ton of money. And I guess originally the story was based in Boston. But the mayor of San Francisco was trying to get more movies to film there. So he gave them like huge um, cuts and they ended up moving it to San Francisco. And then he gave them pretty much the run of the city. The only place that they were denied filming at was the Golden Gate Bridge. They wanted to race across the Golden Gate Bridge, but they didn't get the permits for that, which that would have been pretty freaking cool.
1: (laughs) That would have been pretty epic for sure. Yeah.
0: So let's, I want to save the the car chase info for like, let's do a deep dive in that a a little bit later and we'll talk about the rest of the movie first on that one. Let's see here. When was the first time you've seen this movie?
1: So not to talk about it too much, but it was because of the car chase. So do you remember our cousin, Jeremy? Oh yeah. The other Jeremy in our family? Right.
0: Third cousin, Jeremy. Yeah.
1: Third, third or fourth cousin. Yeah. Sir's cousin's. twice removed however that broke down twice removed i don't know anyways so he had a 68 charger oh he did Uh, it wasn't running but yeah he had a 68 charger like the one in the movie i mean same did you actually obviously not clean did you actually see it oh yeah he had it on his driveway it was a piece of junk but it was it was one he was going to rebuild he also had a 73 charger which that one ran uh that thing also was just ugly, beat up car, but it did run, and the the engine ran pretty well. Nice. And that's back when I had my '73 Le Mans. Ooh, yeah. Pontiac Le Mans, which is another big old muscle it's car. It's boat of a the, car from that era. Yeah. So, anyways, we were super into muscle cars at the time, obviously. And then he was like, "Dude, you got to see this movie. It's this. It's got my car." Because the '68 was his dream car, so that was the one he always wanted to rebuild. Oh, sweet. Even though he was driving the the '73. So that was my first experience watching it because he was like, dude, you got to see it. And uh, I did. And uh, we'll talk about that more later. But that was my first time. That was probably back in 98 or 99.
0: Oh, yeah. No, that makes sense why I don't remember his cars at all. I was a, a wee lad at that time, probably more obsessed with right. Mario than anything else.
1: Right. Well, I, I remember you and, and his brother. Brandon. Brandon, there we go. I, yeah. You guys were very much into uh, video games. At the time. Oh,
0: 100%. Yes, absolutely. Um, let's, I mean, not the name. Still love video games, but yeah. <laughs> not as much as back then, Play? probably.
1: No, exactly.
0: <laughs> um, let's see. The first time I, I saw this movie, I remember Dad talked about it every now and then. Like, he, I think unofficially, I'll have to ask it, but unofficially, I think Dad was a Steve McQueen fan because I think pretty mm-hmm. much the world was a Steve McQueen fan. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and even though he was only in like two dozen movies, which or two, which I mean that doesn't that doesn't sound like that's not a lot, but just he it's not like James Dean where he was only in three movies and he passed away. I mean Steve McQueen lived lived right. up until 1980 and he passed away from then, but um, he unfortunately he passed away from like a cancer from asbestos. I thought it was cancer from smoking, but it, it was from asbestos. Hmm. I don't know if that's from him living on the streets when he was a kid or where he got that poisoning from. But, yeah, that's
1: why he passed away. Well, I mean, there was asbestos in everything back then. Oh, that's true. You're absolutely right. That was a very very common building material. Right. You know, in the ceiling of your house and in all sorts of tiles in the floor. I mean, they used it in everything. So there's probably a lot of people that died from it. The, Without realizing that it,
0: that is a great point. See, I think of it now as like, well, of course, it's asbestos, it's poisonous. Like, don't use it. But right. yeah, that's a really good point. I didn't think about that, especially like also too with like the paint in people's houses that's older than nineteen eighties. Oh yeah, you can get lead poisoning and stuff. Full of lead. Yep. Yeah, but at least Superman can't be doing lousy peeping tom on you. <laughs> so, right. Anyways, the so when I first watched this movie. I, again, I think it was about 10, 15 years ago when I was just, no, 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 it was before that, because I bought a Steve McQueen box set of like eight Steve McQueen movies, because I'd always, always heard that he was the king of cool, so I was like, I want to check this guy out. So, right. it had that in it, it had Papillon, it had Tom Horn, it had The Getaway by Sam Peckinpah, and the the main movie that I remember liking out of these was Bullet, and so I... Uh, this movie kind of just stuck with me, and then I didn't watch it again for a long time. And then I picked it up in a bin for five bucks, and watched it again. And I was really impressed with like the opening credits, the way it was put together. is It's smooth. Like it reminds me, yeah, reminds me of the feeling from the the new Ocean's Eleven movies, where it's just cool. Like you feel cool watching the movie. Yes,
1: yeah, that is. It. I put that in my notes too. I'm all, this was absolutely a cool movie. I, I, I feel like it still is. Yeah, you, you know, but we love. Older things, but even I was just thinking like, if I had seen this in 1968 or 69, I would have been like, "This is a cool movie." Oh yeah, like, like you said, you feel cool watching.
0: Yeah, it. it's a it was a massive hit, and critics and audience alike both really liked this movie. So this movie was definitely, uh, I wouldn't say blockbuster because that term really wasn't around until 1980s with uh, Steven Spielberg created Jaws, but right. it was definitely a hit though. It's probably yeah between this and the Magnificent Seven. Um, I would definitely say this is probably one of Steve McQueen's most famous. Do you, I? I don't know. Do you think this is Steve McQueen's fa-
1: most famous movie? Ah, uh, I man, I would say so because of the car scene, right? The car chase scene. But I mean, if you're looking at his body of work, and if you're, uh, I don't know, man, you talk about westerns. I mean, Magnificent Seven. I mean, he was huge as a. Right, an actor in westerns. He was in
0: the TV show. Yeah, I don't know. He was in the TV show, Wanted Dead or Alive, and then right. he was in the Towering Inferno. So he's just—he was in a bunch of movies. Oh, of course, The Great Escape. That was a—that was a big movie.
1: Right. I think if you talk to people, like if you talk to boomers, yeah, um, I don't know what they would say. It, it might—it might just be everyone has their favorite Steve McQueen movie. But I feel like. This one's pretty iconic not just because of him but because of what happened in this movie more so than maybe some of the other ones. Yeah. I mean that mot- the motorcycle jump in The Great Escape is obviously a, you know, legendary Hollywood thing. Right. Yeah. But I f- I, f- I don't know. I feel like this, you know, as a sequence in a movie, I feel like it still absolutely holds up and it still, you know, set the benchmark super high. Right. No, absolutely. So okay. We're going to talk about that more yeah, later. Yeah, okay. Okay, <laughs> it's
0: decided. This is Steve McQueen's most popular movie then. Yes. Under strong authority. According to the Midnight Watch. Yes, exactly. You heard it here first, folks. Yeah. So I think, and then I, yeah. And so I finally watched the movie and I had, I liked it. I had mixed feelings about it, though. So let's get in that synopsis and then we'll break down that police procedural and then get into the car chase.
1: Yes, sir. Here we go. Thank you, Wikipedia, once again. On a Friday night in Chicago, mobster Johnny Ross is fleeing town, running from the outfit, otherwise known as the Chicago Mafia. The next morning in San Francisco, SFPD detective Lieutenant Frank Bullitt and his team, Delgetti and Stanton, are tasked by Senator Walter Chalmers with guarding Ross over the weekend until he can be presented as a witness to a Senate subcommittee hearing on organized crime on Monday morning. The detectives are told he is in a cheap hotel on Embarcadero. Delgetti takes the first shift, followed by Stanton and then Bullet. At 1 a.m. Sunday morning, while Stanton is phoning Bullet to say Chalmers and a friend want to come up, Ross unchains the room door. Two hitmen burst in, shooting Stanton in the leg and Ross in the chest. Chalmers holds Bullet responsible. Ross dies in the hospital from his wounds, but Bullet conceals the death to keep the investigation open, sending the body to the morgue as a John Doe. An informant says that Ross was in town because he stole millions of dollars from Chicago, the Chicago outfit. Bullet also finds out he made a long-distance phone call to a hotel in San Mateo while driving his '68 Ford Mustang. Bullet becomes aware he's being followed by a '68 Dodge Charger driven by two or by the two hitmen. An extended chase ensues through the streets of San Francisco to Brisbane. Eventually, the Dodge crashes off the road, killing its occupants in a fire explosion. Bullet and Delgetti are confronted by their boss, Captain Sam Bennett, as well as Chalmers, who is assisted by uh, another SFPD Captain uh, Baker. After being served a writ of habeas corpus, Bullet reveals that Ross has died. Bennett delays enforcing the writ, allowing Bullet to in- to investigate the lead of the long-distance phone call to San Mateo. Due to his car being damaged in the chase, Bullet gets a ride from from his girlfriend Kathy. At the hotel, Bullet finds a woman from. Uh, from the phone call garretted in her room kathy follows the police to the crime scene and is horrified on the way back to san francisco she confronts bullet about his work the negative impact it's having on his life and whether or not they have a future together because of it while examining the victim's luggage bullet and dilgetty discover a travel brochure for rome and traveler's checks made out to an albert and dorothy Rennick. bullet requests their passport applications from chicago Bullet, Captain Bennett, Chalmers, and Captain Baker gather around the telecopier as the applications arrive. It turns out Chalmers sent Bullet to guard a doppelganger, Albert Rennick, a used car salesman from Chicago whose wife Dorothy had been staying in San Mateo. Bullet realizes that Ross was playing the politically ambitious Chalmers by using Rennick as a decoy so he could slip out of the country Sunday night. Delgetty and Bullet watch the Rome gate at San Francisco, or I should say the Rome flight at the gate at San Francisco International Airport. However, the real Ross, on Rennick's passport, has switched to an earlier London flight with his ticket for Rome. Bullet boards the plane after he is ordered to return to the terminal, but the mobster escapes through the rear cabin door. A foot chase ensues across the runways and taxiways. In the crowded passenger terminal, Ross kills a deputy sheriff before being shot dead by Bullet. Chalmers arrives to survey the scene, but leaves, saying nothing. Bullet arrives home early on Monday morning to find Kathy, who, having chosen to stay with him, is asleep in his bed.
0: Oh, there you have it. Well, I mean, one other thing happens at the end, too, though. Like, it shows him, um, he specifically takes his gun off, and it it has a point of him putting his gun on his clothes as he gets ready to take a shower. And they linger on that shot. So, to me, that shows that he is wanting to step away from the violence in his life, as well, not necessarily to come away from as being a detective, but like still wants to invest in in the relationship. That's how I took that. What do you think?
1: Um, I sort of took it as, eh, just another day at the office. Else is gonna change." <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe I'm more of a romantic. Than. <laughs> um, uh, you know what? I hope you. I hope what you were saying was the right way.
0: <laughs> uh, I will say this, like. Okay, so you, in the synopsis, it tells you what's going on, but watching the movie, there's no, they don't tell you what's going on. Like you have to pay attention to each scene to figure out like what is going on in this movie because, which is makes it I guess more real. There's not a lot of dialogue in this movie, and like that's, there were several critics at the time that praised this movie for um, having people talk the way people really talk. And so, right. like literally, I was <laughs> once uh, McQueen. Like the thing came through, came through the machine that predated a fax machine, and they saw that that Rennick was actually a um, Ross. Then, and then they he just moves on, and they start doing. It. I was like, wait, what happened? And I had to, I had to process what happened. And when I was like, oh, they all realized they were getting played. <laughs> Excuse me. Right. And and then uh, he of course went to find the real Ross, and. I just I thought that was actually cool because it's kind of a simplistic plot, but the way that it's written, you have to pay attention to it because they don't tell the audience. Some you don't have that guy in the room where he's like, so Reddick was actually not Ross. We just got played. Right. The only line they give you is, "You sent me to guard the
1: wrong man." That's it. Right. And and I know I had to stop the movie a few times and go back to rewatch what I had just watched because I don't I don't remember I've seen this movie. I think three times before watching this. It'd been a long time, but I I've seen it, a few, you know, at least yeah, two or three times, and obviously the car chase is what really sticks in your head, right? And kind of nothing else. So I was really intrigued, like, why don't I remember the rest of what's going on? But one of the reasons is you have to be engaged. It's not a. It's kind of not a casual movie. Yeah. Uh, unless you know what's going on. Because like one thing I love too is that as soon as it, it it goes to like a real life scenario where especially the medical stuff. So when they're working, they're in the surgery or they're taking care of somebody medically, all the music stops and it's just the chatter, procedural chatter of uh, everybody working on the patient. And I also read that they used actual medical personnel, real doctors, real nurses, real ambulance drivers, the whole the whole deal. When it came to doing all those scenes, they weren't actors. They're actually talking real medical jargon. I think that's and it just so cool. It's so yeah, it's so real. Which we're used to that now. Most you know any decent police procedural or medical procedural show these days they've they've come a long ways. They have you know way better. What's the word I'm looking for? People telling them what to do the right way, the correct way, Mm -hmm. and. Here, you know, I don't think that really happened much before that. Maybe, maybe on some, like, doctor shows here and there where they tried to get it as accurate as possible, but... Right. It just, it feels so real, and you're like, man, this movie's pretty old, too, but they really nail it. Oh, yeah.
0: No, I agree, because, like, before that, even with The Magnificent Seven, you know, they got the big orchestra, you got, like, good chummy scenes and different things like that. Stuff is kind of overdone in a Hollywood way, and this movie is very much... They're trying to make it as as real as possible, and so you're kind of yeah. just watching this guy from from a realistic standpoint. And I feel like at the time that was definitely really helped this movie to stand out. But I feel though, and now watching it, yeah, after how it's influenced so many different movies, so many different genres, it's kind of slow in different scenes because we're used right. we're used to this stuff, so it doesn't amaze us. So we're just kind of like. Okay, this is like like 20 minutes of no music and they're talking and stuff, right. but like I mean it's int- it's it's sort of interesting, but
1: yeah. It's well it is if you take the time to pay attention to it, but otherwise like you said, you kind of just drift like okay, this is a boring scene, they're just working on the guy. Right. And But if you really stop and listen to it, you're like, "Oh, they were on purpose capturing all of this dialogue, real life dialogue happening." Right. And and Steve McQueen or whoever the actual actors are just kind of floating in the background. They're there, but, I mean, it's It's like they know their role as police officers. Okay, I need to step back and let these guys do their job. And Right. And that's, I mean, it's a very, very real world, I, real real life.
0: I did enjoy the part, though, when they go through um, the evidence and they're looking through it and just the way they're like, hey, I need this evidence. And they're like, oh, hey, can you fill out this form? Can you do this? I thought that was interesting. Right. I did think it was funny though. They went through the evidence, not wearing gloves, and then Steve McQueen's like, right. He's like, hey, can you fingerprint hey, this? Can you fingerprint and I'm these? like, dude, your freaking fingerprints <laughs> are all, all over that now. Um, right. Which, I mean, I the, uh, the forensics text would be like,
1: thanks, God. yeah. I have your prints on file, but now I got to... <laughs> thanks a lot, Steve. <laughs> pass all of them. <laughs> You're the reason I smoke, Steve. <laughs> but, right. but
0: yeah, I that that was a little bit of a. Of a blunder there, I thought, and then also um, one thing I th- another thing that I do kind of I don't I don't fault it because this is the story of I mean it's in the story, but I did think it was kind of weird how they break play up the point where they're like uh, it's a two two man team for the hitman. You got the trigger man and a backup, and the dude fires two shots. That's it. You know, one to the cop, right, and then one to kill the guy. And I was kind of like. Why did he like? I'm it, th- again though. This is me thinking of Tom Cruise from Collateral, a movie that was made way later. Right. Where it's like you know, two to the right. two to the chest, one to the head. You know, just like right. Double tap. Yeah. Make sure they're. <laughs> you always double tap. <laughs> always double tap. Yeah. Make sure that they're they're dead, dead, and. Uh, So, yeah, he just does one shot and then leaves, and of course, the dude stays alive for quite some time, and that's why a chase ensues, and then like the hitman keeps coming back, trying to to make sure he took out the guy. And I was just thinking, I was like, well, the only explanation I can think of is it's California, and there's a lot of laws (laughs) about about guns, and so maybe he could only get two rounds, and, uh, and then he had to jet, so... That's that's a terrible uh, thing. I'm I'm thinking it was just
1: that yeah it was just that kind of
0: fell flat <laughs> right because then later he must have got gotten another um, more shotgun rounds for when the, in the car chase when he he fires off several shots. This is the first movie though to be considered to have a modern car chase in it. So if you like Fast and Furious, if you like Gone in sixty seconds. Anything that has to do with uh, with car chases nowadays, like this, is right. the granddaddy. Oh, like
1: the Born. Uh, oh yeah, the born, born. Born identity. identity. Yeah. And Born Supremacy. I think they both had pretty, pretty good car chases. Those are some of the best parts of those movies, in my opinion.
0: Right. And of course, the Italian Job. You know, like all of course. all those movies were directly okay. Also, too okay. So the French Connection, another really famous movie. Um, has, oh, yeah. has a crazy car chase in it that was directly influenced by this movie because the French connection came out in 1971 and oh another cool thing bill hickman who plays the wheelman for the the hitman in this is yeah. um he it was a real stunt car driver so he he was playing himself like the entire time and he oh man i'm getting ahead of myself and you're going right into the car chase sequence okay hold up I know. Hold it back up. Okay. Whoop whoop whoop. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, going back to it. Opening credits, real quick. Super cool. Yeah. Super cool. I loved the music. I love the jazz. Yeah. So cool. The way that the the the, the, the titles came up. How it kept transitioning when all the dudes show right. up. Like I literally was just like, dude, this this is like some classic 1960s gangster right. scene right here. Like, it was freaking cool.
1: And I think... Well, they uh, they also, they really also showed San Francisco as being a pretty cool town. Like, especially in the time. Yeah. I mean, that was, it was a very hip place to be. Right.
0: I agree. I really liked, actually, that they that they had, you get to see this cool view of the 1960s San Francisco. And especially, too, like, almost blown away by the fact, like, in the movie, like, this movie takes place over Saturday and Sunday and a little bit into Monday. They go to talk to the police chief and he's taking his family to church and it's just like right. s- flocks of people are going to church and how the San Francisco, the, the streets are like, um, they're clear because either you're sleeping or you're in church or something. Just totally different than, than right. nowadays. But yeah, Steve McQueen, though, was an icon because of the counterculture at the time. So with him being right, always being an, an antihero, I think this is the only movie where he plays a police detective. Because he yeah. he had trouble with the law when he was a kid, but he's still kind of an antihero though as this police
1: detective. Right. Which is the one thing that I <laughs> that I liked was that at one point when the the suspect dies, the but they think is the mobster, and his captain pulls him in the in the room and he's kinda giving him the, the stern captain talk, you know, to his subordinate who messed up. He's all I need you to play it by the book and then <laughs> and then like one line later, he's like, "He's like, uh, do what you think is best. I'll back you up, or I'll try to back you up." You're like, "Wait, which one is it?" Right. It's your... you want to buy the book, or do you want me to just keep playing it like a cowboy?
0: Right. He's like, "It's your case. You you figure it out." Yeah, I do think that's pretty funny.
1: So, I, th- I thought that was funny too. Oh, and then of course I have to point this out. So right before the mobster gets hit in the hotel room before the door gets kicked in, and he's listening to the radio, and there's a an ad, or a commercial. The DJ starts talking about. Uh, our own San Francisco Giants taking on the Dodgers at and whatever it was from there, but I'm just like sweet. Really That's I see my team. I missed that. That's awesome. I I was did you plug in the Giants? F- did you see any Giants uh, paraphernalia inside the the movie besides that? I didn't notice any. Um, doesn't mean it wasn't there. Did you? Did you see some? No, but I was thinking too.
0: Though they didn't really go. To, they they stayed at like classy joints, or actually at like the police station, or like the only place I think that they would have actually shown that might have been at the airport at the end,
1: um, possibly. Or you would think maybe in some of the bars. But again, you're right. They were kind of classy. They weren't. They weren't like a, like a blue collar bar or something where you might see right. Sports paraphernalia or whatnot. Steve McQueen. So, Steve Mc... yeah, I didn't. I wasn't really looking. Maybe there would have been people on the street wearing like a Giants ball cap or.
0: Right. When you were talking about Ch- um, the Chicago mob, you're like the out- the uh, the outfit, otherwise known as the Chicago da Bears, <laughs> and I was like, that kept popping up into my head.
1: <laughs> but let's see. Of course, that, that joke was a lot later.
0: Yes, absolutely. Before we get to the car chase, so. I like the the opening camera shot is done beautifully. It is, like, way, way far away, slowly moving in, slowly moving in um, to the, the street way down below. And then, like, the car that it's actually tracking comes into view, and it slowly speeds up a little bit. But it's such a smooth shot. I was really impressed. I rewound it and was like, yeah. dude, they track this, like, beautifully. That was awesome. Right. And then I, like, I really like
1: this. Oh, go ahead. Finish your thought. I really like
0: the, I was just going to jump
1: to next scene. Go ahead. I just want to also say the the camera work in this movie is amazing. I mean, it's it's obvious for the car chase scene and and the, you know, they won an Oscar for editing. Right. Which, you know, the, the way they put the car scene together is amazing. But you got to, there's so many other great scenes. Oh, yeah. In this movie that are just shot so, so awesome. At the, just jumping ahead briefly, at the end of the movie when they're running around on the, active taxiway and, and, um, maybe even the runway at at points. Yeah. Super dangerous. I mean, whoever the stunt guys were, I mean, that's, that's dangerous. I mean, if those planes ran over you one, I mean that, that kill you, but then just being ingested by an engine or I work around airplanes. So I'm aware of all that all the time just because of my job, but you see that, and maybe you take it for granted. If yeah, you know, your daughter just running around these airplanes, it's like that's super dangerous. <laughs> Dude, I w- but they got they caught the shots really cool too, though.
0: Right, and I actually looked into it. Apparently, that was Steve McQueen, like diving underneath the airplane when that airplane was dr- was going down the taxiway,
1: and that, right. That and is, I and I know he would have done. I think he would have done a hundred percent of his stunts. If they would have let him, but I know like legally in the studios, just, they, they shut him down. I mean, that's, that's like the, the jump, the motorcycle jump and the great escape. He was going to do it, but they wouldn't let him. Right. So that was his friend who was another motorcycle enthusiast like himself. It was buddy. I mean, he would have done it. Yeah. Right. And he did a lot of the driving in the, in the chase scenes. He probably could have done all of it, but again, you know, legally they wouldn't let him. He didn't have Tom Cruise status yet, or they could just, you could tell them. My movie, my stunts. Well,
0: even Tom Cruise, Beat I think there's certain dangerous things they don't allow him to do. But he did crash his car during the making of this movie, and his wife at the time was freaked out and complained to the director. So then like when he showed up the next day, then Bud Eakins, who is the um, the guy that did the motorcycle jump in The Great Escape, right. and who was one of the stunt drivers in this movie, like he was suited up to look just like him, and Steve, like, apparently Steve McQueen was very frustrated,
1: but, um, right. So, which hey, I gotta say, I gotta give it to Steve McQueen. I saw, I guess that when there was uh, Johnny Carson on the Late Show, was interviewing him one time about the Great Escape, and he was, he was telling him, "Wow, that was an amazing jump you made," and he just stopped him right there He's was like, "No, Johnny, that was that was my friend Bud Eakins, or whoever." Right. He just he totally he didn't take credit, which a lot of movie stars do. They just take the credit even though that wasn't them. Right. No, and, he was uh, he just shut it down and like, nope, that was that guy.
0: He was embarrassed actually that he didn't get to do the jump, so which is why he really pushed to do as much of the
1: driving as possible in this movie. So, oh, I believe it. He was a real deal guy. I mean, actual top-rated race car driver. Yeah. I mean, well they kind of like Paul Newman, I guess, when you think about it. But I guess I mean, not that not that movie stars are just, you know, aren't you know, into real life sports and things and are, are good at it as well. But um, it seems like back then, it just seemed like a little bit more of the, that dude playing a tough character on screen, you know, he was a legit tough character in real life.
0: Well, he, it reminded me of John Wayne, where John Ford, the director, said that John Wayne wasn't an actor. He was a force of will that movies were created around. And so right. I feel like Steve McQueen... Maybe not to that extent, but Steve McQueen kind of played Steve McQueen for in a lot of movies, which is fine because we like because yes. we like Steve McQueen. Like girls want to be with him, guys want to be him, and so right. that makes that totally makes sense. Though why yeah doing this stuff? Okay, let me go right. just a few more tidbits because we're we're chomping at the bit, wanting to get into that that chase scene, <laughs> uh, what everybody's been waiting for. Right? Yeah. If you want to fast forward to or no, what we've been waiting yeah, for, If you want to fast forward to minute forty-two. That's when we jump. No, I'm just kidding. Um, let's see here. <laughs> so, uh, one thing I thought was really interesting, they, the first scene when they introduced Chalmers, uh, Robert Vaughn, i got to give him credit, dude. That guy, I have unfortunately Oh, yeah. I've never seen him play a good guy, but he was he predominantly known for being the main guy. Never watched, in, yeah. You never watched Man from Uncle? I ne- no, I haven't seen it yet. I want to, but that's the thing that he got famous for. And so Right. He was like the suave guy, but I've only seen him as like of course in the A team and then I think he was the bad guy in a um in a Clint Eastwood movie when they were like had that firebird jet or something like that. I'm trying to remember that. But Oh yeah. Yeah. Um Firefox? Is that what that was called? I think it was called that, yeah. But I, I always see him as the bad guy in movies. And in this movie, technically he's not really a bad guy but he's a snake he just he'll do whatever he. he's an a-hole for exactly sure. and he plays it very well but apparently like he's a very charming nice guy steve mcqueen actually asked him to be in the movie he was like dude you got to be in this movie and he read the script he didn't understand it and he didn't like it and they just kept throwing money <laughs> kept throwing money at him until he finally was like well you guys are gonna pay me all this money i'm gonna do it and then later right he enjoyed the experience of course the movie was extremely well received and so he the constantly it said after that 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 was his favorite movie that he ever made, and so I thought that was pretty cool.
1: Um, that is well, and the the dynamic between the two of them is really cool because he does he plays that kind of weaselly snake politician. Yeah, and he's always trying to bait people and trying to get the reaction out of them. And Steve Queen, I mean, I mean, it's that's his nickname, King of Cool or whatever. He's so calm and he does not get baited. No, I mean, at one point he. um yeah, I mean, there's there's no point there where he really gets that upset and he just kind of just walks away or just shuts it down, right? With a with a line and moves on. I mean, it's it was very cool to see the two of them work together.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so the the opening sequence, though, when they introduce uh, Robert Vaughn. Steve McQueen stops, they pull over to the house and they, they go up and they open the door and the first shot is a camera angle loaded to the ground and you just see a bunch of ladies' legs and skirts and then you see Steve McQueen farther off, silhouetted in the in the the door frame. And he's just got a look on his face where he's kinda of looking around. But it's so clearly, immediately shows he is out of his element. Like he is surrounded by uh, I don't, it's some, some sort of a, a fundraiser thing, I think, of a, a women's right, society. Right, some kind of high
1: society thing.
0: Yeah, and he's just waiting there to talk to uh, Robert Vaughn. And so then Robert Vaughn, when they introduce him, I love how the camera is on two other people, and you see the back of his head, but it's not centered on him. So then when he turns around, he turns into the camera, and it's just really cool camera work. Right. And it's yeah. it's smooth because immediately the first thing you feel when you see Robert Vaughn is oh this guy's smooth and then you you kind of like him at first because he's like hey Steve we're gonna you know we're, I'm gonna take you with me yeah. we're gonna do great things together right and then as soon as like the the, the, the it goes sour he's immediately like I'm blaming you, everything on you and you're like oh this guy's a douche right so but I know he's like I'm gonna cru- I'm gonna preside over your crucifixion yeah, <laughs> Like, i personally preside over your public crucifixion. Yeah. Uh, right. So I thought that was uh, just, I like the, the camera work in that. I'm um, just showing Steve, that, that's like the one sequence, though, where Steve McQueen's just like, he's there and he's just waiting, but like he's, I wouldn't know if he's, say he's uncomfortable, but he's out of his element there versus the rest of the movie. Sure. He's like the guy in charge or doing, you know, even when he's, his superiors are there, he's still like, I'm only obeying you because you're my superior in this case, but not with with Robert Vaughn the entire time. He's just secretly giving him the FUIs like the entire time. Right. Um, Totally. But
1: I got to say, he, his character is still very respectful. Like he's, he's very polite always. I mean, people, you know, women, women, you know, greet him or say things to him or, you know, and he's always for an antihero. And I'm just saying, Oh yeah. He's always just like, thank you. And he does this thing. He's not just some, you know, kind of a character who are just, I don't care about you. I'm the coolest. And he, he's just not that way. He's just, you can tell, like, he doesn't, he doesn't have to throw people, you know, throw shade at people or throw dirt on people to, for them to know he's cool. Like, it's just, he is, and he's very respectful in all this, all the different scenarios he's in.
0: Yes, absolutely. Like the part when the the nurse is like, did you, are you the hungry policeman? And he's like, oh yes, thank you so much. Right. And I like the part too, when the, they first introduce his girlfriend and she's, Asking him to for help with uh to read the the stats off of the pipeline right. and the stuff he does at first, and then she's like, "What about this?" And he's like, "Oh, I, I lost my place." And it's just it's a right. it's a fun banter between him because you can tell like he just was like, "Okay, I'm kind of done with this," and at the same time the girl's like, right. she's like, "Oh, that's funny." Like obviously you're just like, let's move on in a in a fun way, not in an a hole way. And right, and so they have a cool dynamic which introduces. Ron Burgundy in the jazz scene. Um, so yes,
1: that jazz <laughs> flute man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: as soon it start, dude. That scene startled me because, like, the beginning, you know, they have the bass where he's like boom, 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 right, and that shows like the band starting to pick up, and then it just crashes the cymbal, and then that the girl just cruising on the flute, just <laughs> and immediately I thought of Ron Burgundy from Anchorman. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um it was cool steve mcqueen once again he found saw that band in a club and was like hey you guys want to be in a movie so they they put uh, they put that band in the movie so that scene though shows him eating dinner with uh several other people and then his girlfriend and he keeps he's like staring across the the table at his girlfriend and they catch eyes and they have this cool i, I like how there's not a lot of dialogue so they show a lot of Right. A lot of emotion just of them looking at each other, and then he smiles, kind of relaxed, and then she she smiles, and it's just cool little dynamic of like she's like yes. the main person in that scene. Like people are talking, and he's just kind of there, but you can tell like he loves her, he's in support of her, and I just like that. So then, like when they have other scenes because she's not in the movie that much, those scenes matter because of these this little right emotional. They do
1: have a deep emotional right connection, which. I mean, it's going to come up again in the, once again, about the car scene, car chase scene. But it really, this movie does really play on, you know, unspoken emotion and the dynamics of that. Yes. And, you know, in all the different ways that it can come across, whether it's a really intense scene or whether, like you said, there's like an emotional love interest kind of a scene or there's sadness or frustration. I mean, you just, you really... They did an amazing job delivering on all of those emotions without there having to be dialogue. Right, walking you through it. Absolutely, we are starting to run out of time, so let me do.
0: I have like. F- well, we got to get to the. Right to the chase. The stuff. Let me. I have five trivia right things. Right to the chase. I have like five trivia things I want to read real quick, and then we'll jump right into the the chase. Uh, right. So, about, about 50% of the film was actually shot silent. So, the background noise, sound effects, and spoken dialogue were looped in post-production. Unfortunately, you can really tell this in a couple scenes where it's just kind of weird that there's not as much sound um, when they're walking around. But that's just also because nowadays, like sound effects and the sound guys nowadays are so freaking good at their job. Um, right. But anyways, uh, so they had that. Then this movie was one of the first movies actually to be rated by the MPAA. And so, it was originally rated m and then they re-released it um, in theaters on as a PG rating. And then also, to right. the gunshot wounds in this movie. So Bonnie and Clyde, which came out a year earlier popularized the, the use of squibs so you get the nice blood splurts when you when it shows somebody getting shot this is the first movie that used that and incorporated blood packets to get splatter on the wall so that scene when the dude gets shot with a shotgun in the movie it's pretty graphic for the time it's just like boom like right so that was probably really surprising so that was pretty cool um also steve mcqueen rode around with some cops to get the layout of the of San Francisco and some procedural stuff. So the cops wanted to test his metal and see how much of a, a strong man he really was. So they took him to the morgue and apparently they were impressed with him because he showed up and he was just chilling in the morgue and he was eating an apple while they were showing him around. So...
1: Oh my gosh. That was
0: pretty, pretty <laughs> funny. John Woo, who's a really famous action movie uh, director, and William Friedkin who made all kinds of movies like To Live and Die in LA and of course The Exorcist. This is their favorite movie apparently. Wow! Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. All right,
1: let's do it. Minif- and then we just we do have a quick little shout out to Robert Duvall. Oh yeah, the cabbie. Yeah, Robert Duvall. Because he he really wasn't in a lot up until this point. You know, just just small roles, little TV roles. I mean, he was in *To Kill uh, a Mockingbird*,
0: but it was like he didn't talk. He was right. Yeah.
1: Right, and it was. But anyways, and it's it, so it's funny. It's that it, he actually got a a credit, like a a legit credit you know when they're rolling through it at the beginning of the movie yeah and he doesn't have much dialogue and they doesn't even have very many clear shots of him you know in the you know as the cabbie driving around right but they totally he's a he's a build you know official build character in there which i thought was interesting right
0: yeah that is pretty cool actually to get to see him as his career would expand especially in the godfather which come out a couple years later and uh, right. move on from there to be juggernaut of an
1: actor that we know nowadays. All right. Ready? Put your seatbelt on. It's serious time now, which I love that part in the movie when when McQueen, well, first the, the, the hitmen are following him. Right. And then they, he fools them. They think that they, he, they lost him. And then all of a sudden in the, in the, the Chargers rearview mirror, you see him come up over the hill. Oh, yeah. His, his Mustang. Such an awesome shot. And then the, the driver, who you said was a professional stunt driver, anyways. Yeah. Which is so funny because he, t- he totally looks like some nerdy accountant. Right. So it's like you have the accountant and the grandpa, who's the other hitman. Right. <laughs> such an odd oh. bear, but they're so cool. But he's got those sweet leather racing gloves on. Yeah. And as soon as he sees him coming behind him, he clicks on that seatbelt, which is. Ironic, cause you know they weren't even really. I don't think you had to wear seatbelts at that point. Still, it was just more of a recommended thing. But to kind of to show the importance of, all right, it's about to get serious here. It's about to go Plugs down. Seatbelt, and then he, then he punches it. Yeah. And dude, as far as like the sound not being great, bro, the one of the best parts about this chase scene, aside from the amazing camera angles and these sweet cars, you know, flying around the hills and you know, roads of San Francisco. The sound, the audio is phenomenal. Yes, like it I, is. dude, it is epic. It was just roaring engines, just that burbling exhaust, squealing tires. Oh. oh my gosh, they nailed it. Like I just one thing that bothers me is you'll see, and even in newer shows, you'll see a car, you know, rev up and like burn out or take off really fast. And usually it'll be like some little four banger, like a Camry, and it sounds like a V8. So it's like absolutely the wrong sound. Oh yeah. And this was 100%. I mean, this is these are muscle cars in their prime. Oh yeah. And they're just, oh. The only thing that,
0: oh, the, dude. The only thing that they did to soup up the cars was to um, add some to the suspension because of the stunts they were going to be doing, driving over the San Francisco right. hills. Because obviously they clear air in these scenes when they're
1: just like, oh, bam. Yeah bam just like f- and they're slamming down yeah. yeah when they hit some of those valley points on the hills i mean they're just pancaking right yeah but, oh man those engines it was and so okay i gotta take it back to our cousin jeremy so he was like so in the in the show the mustang catches especially on like straightaways the the argument is well well here's the two things so the charger had a bigger engine and about 50 more horsepower mm-hmm. um and you can Anybody, please correct me. I, I don't have my specs in front of me, so I'm ballparking it. About 50 horsepower more. And it's just kind of one of those, if you're a Mopar guy or if you're a Ford guy, I mean, everybody thinks their their car company is best. But our cousin, who was a big Mopar guy, he was. the argument is, has kind of always been, on a straightaway, especially when they leave the city and they're heading out toward Brisbane, then that Charger should have just pulled away and never been caught by the Mustang. But the Mustang kind of easily catches up to it that being said the other argument is the power to or weight to power ratio yeah. was a little more even on the mustang so technically it you know it might have caught up better but it's a, the argument's always that oh that charger would have sucked the headlights out of that mustang on straightaway.
0: which is that's that's actually what which, I, I heard about that too but then yeah i was doing some like you're saying like the mustang smaller engine but then of course um as well the uh, lighter car so it didn't need to have a pull right. as much. The charger's a lot
1: heavier. Right. But that being said, I remember racing Jeremy on uh on one oh one between San uh, Santa Rosa and Heelsburg. hmm And uh we were so his his must or his uh, charger had the big block four forty in it, and mine had um either a three twenty seven or a three fifty Chevy small block. Hmm. And yeah, dude, he would leave, we'd be both, you know, hauling down the highway and he would just smoke me just (laughs) gone. And I had, you know, roughly the same size engine as the Mustang. Of course, my car was a lot bigger than the Mustang. Yeah. That was that charger, which was, which was still as big as my car. Just, I mean, gone. Just smoke me.
0: Yeah. They're, they did recreate the the sequence. I think that Motor Trend did that in two thousand and eight, and so this is a
1: right. I know they've done comparisons.
0: Right, this is something that like they've they've constantly gone on before the sure, dumpster. Like like you said, Dodge and and Ford fans are going to constantly just be, you know, arguing about right. this. And so now the real hero of the story though is the Corvette that they mounted the the, the cameras to that had to be faster than the That's cars. That's Right. They had to be yeah, so that because originally the director uh, Peter Yates was like, "Hey, we're gonna you know you guys would be going around seventy to eighty miles an hour," and Steve McQueen and Bill Hickman they both got up to over 100 and, uh, 120 miles an hour in the cars, and right, which is insane because if you're gonna turn at that it's insane at that time oh I know like you're you're dead if you do something wrong like that right watching the sequence now compared to like say Fast and the Furious I would say Fast and the Furious. If you don't know anything about cars, Fast and Furious is more entertaining because of the camera angles and all that stuff. But then if you watch it, this is extremely gritty car scene. They don't pull away. There's not fast cuts. It's literally just like right. you see them take that turn and that car is doing all it can to stay on the road so it doesn't fishtail into
1: right. the pedestrian cars. Well, and it actually, the Charger hit a camera it at did. one point too. You're right. Which um, Have you seen that scene? I, I don't remember that I've seen it. Because they cut it out of later releases of the movie. Uh,
0: I have not, unfortunately. You see it like right when it is about to hit, it cuts kind of weirdly. But yeah, you're right. In the original view, uh, the original theatrical cut, and a couple other versions of it, it actually you see it hit. And the the reason. So okay so this is interesting but the reason sometimes um, people were talking about it they're like oh it's kind of dumb like the charger hits the car and then later there's no there's no damage on the side of the car well yeah it's because the they they edited this the car chase out of sequence so that's why like you right. you'll even see Steve McQueen's car at one point has damage on the side and then later it has no damage and then that's when he scrapes the side right. of the car so that's a little bit of just um, continuity errors, but at the same time, though, like we said, this is the first big boy car chase scene in America. Oh yeah,
1: and right, and then, but not only that, you don't care. Like I knew yeah. about all that watching this movie, and I'm like, I don't care. This is like my heart literally. By the time the the, the chase scene is over. I seriously like, dude, my heart is racing. Like it just it got me that sucked in. And maybe I'm just a total fanboy about (laughs) cars and and the scene, you know, sequence in general, but I mean it literally gets you pumped up and you're like, I don't care that these are obviously different cars getting rotated in and out and the damage is different and the the side view mirrors disappear from scene to scene. Right.
0: (laughs) No, but it's it's still really cool and I love that they kept the mistakes in. For example, they're like when the dodge hits the car, that wasn't planned. They hit it. They keep it right. they keep it in cuz it makes it more real.
1: But that's so real. Yeah. That's so real. I don't care how good of a driver you are. Right. That's, I mean, th- that is a massive car that weighs a ton. It's got them skinny little stock tires on it, right? Which they put s- so it's it's actually surprising that they didn't wreck them even more, right? Or at least I mean, I, I know they did wreck them, but
0: <laughs> they put actually they put smaller tires on the Charger so the Mustang could um could uh, be closer to it, so which is uh, pretty interesting. Oh, and the the Charger lost. Uh, lost six hubcaps in the course of the film of them filming it, which is pretty funny. Right. <laughs> um, right. But um,
1: Bill Hickman those extra two wheels coming.
0: Right. Out. Uh, but that's actually the, like I said, the hitman was low on bullets, so he was <laughs> throwing hubcaps. <laughs>
1: throwing um, throwing hubcaps, I
0: don't. Know. So Bill Hickman, yet again, the bad guy hitman stunt driver or character did all of his own driving because he was stuntman. Steve McQueen did a lot of it, and then Bud Ekins did. Um, other parts of it, and I'm unfortunately I can't remember the name, but there's there was a third stunt driver that did a few parts of it. But yeah, Steve McQueen
1: did as much as possible, and it's pretty cool because right, well, especially all the scenes where you can see who's driving it. I know that was him.
0: Right. Well, he intentionally tried to keep his head close to the door so you could see that it was actually him. Oh, like you know the one scene right. where the the charger quickly turns to the right and then. Uh, goes driving down the the street, and then uh, Steve McQueen misses the turn, and then backs up and peels out yeah. like that. Again, that was a mistake. That wasn't actually what that wasn't planned, and they kept it in because it just looked freaking cool. And uh, right. And then the other part. There's so much.
1: There's just so much realism in this movie. It's awesome.
0: Yeah. It, it it really is. Like that's the one thing I think that makes this movie special is they really went for realism and they nailed it. It was pretty much. Widely received that this movie was a very realistic movie in a completely different Hollywood way. When I mean, it brought a new sense of realism to procedures. At the time, that was really starting to get big. Like, Dragnet was a big deal on TV. right? And so, like, just from then on, though, you got The French Connection, which is a really gritty movie in 1971. You got, you know, all police procedural movies, all that stuff after that, all influenced by this movie. So... Yeah.
1: Oh, another landmark landmark movie in so many ways, even though you really only I mean, everybody just knows it, I would say, because of the the chase scene, which obviously still holds up today. Yeah, you yeah, you don't realize and I didn't even really realize until this time watching it just about all the realism and the uh, how much impact that had on police procedurals um, or medical procedurals to this day. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because then you have
0: the show emergency comes out. Then you have just like Adam 12, all these different uh, shows that just like really got big in the 70s. And I just, right. it was so cool. So going back to, I'm really impressed by Bill Hickman's stunt driving because he went on to have a career in Hollywood oh, as, yeah. as the driver, um, especially in the French Connection, the seven ups. And I can't remember, there's a couple other flicks that he was in. But uh, he, at the end, when they're on the highway, and he's coming up, on, and then, like, the cars are coming towards him, and he squeaks past and, like, totally sideswipes a car and then keeps going. Um, again, not planned, and they kept that in because right. it looked cool, and I, because it, it, they were all going for a sense of realism. So I thought that was pretty awesome. Right. There was a famous tale. Well, and
1: not only that, like, when you see it's – I don't know. I mean, maybe some people know, but when you hit something in your car, being able to – keep control of it yeah. and to to go with it and not just automatically you know spin out or lose you know lose control um, that is a huge amount of skill involved there not you know yes it would have been cooler you know if you never hit anything but being able to hit something and recover yes is I mean that is highly skilled yes absolutely absolutely.
0: And uh, a good, t- a fun tale about this to see when sometimes McQueen's driving and when Bud Ekins isn't driving is the rearview mirror. In the if you when they show the interior shots of the Mustang, that if the rearview mirror is showing Steve McQueen's face, it's Steve McQueen driving. But then like the next scene, you'll see it tilted downwards, and that's because Bud Ekins is driving. And so, right, I thought that was pretty interesting. Now, a little this is a little bit sad, but I wanted to bring this up. Bill Hickman is. Was actually a close friend of uh, James Dean, who James Dean was a, a budding race car driver as well. And so, 13 right. years earlier, they were—he they, was following James Dean to a race in Salinas, California, and he was driving Dean's uh, station wagon, and then Dean was driving in his Porsche Spider, which is a sweet car. And so, that's the the accident that happened where James Dean died. And so, J- Bill Hickman was actually the guy that pulled James Dean's body out of the wreckage. So oh, wow. that's really sad. But I just I felt like that was something interesting that, you know, Bill Hickman, he's he'd been around in Hollywood for quite some time. He was a, a well, right, well, 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 recognized, well, respected um, stunt driver and obviously friends with some some pretty big wigs back at the time. So, right. That was the interesting. Dude. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. So going back to. The uh the chase scene. Let's see. Yeah, they were uh, filming the chase scene. It took three weeks, resulting in nine minutes and forty-two seconds of footage, and which <laughs> that's a lot of planning. And th- that's one thing I I love about this. We keep going back to realism, but I'm comparing it to Fast and Furious, how that's so super superhero over the top. Even the first movie, like when right. they jump the train track and the train goes right behind him, how that's digitally inserted. So they were fine. This movie, like this scene, is so cool because you can just watch it and you're like, everything I'm seeing here, I'm seeing here. There's no Hollywood trickery. Right. These are literally all stunt driver guys that had meticulously yes. planned this out. All of the stunt drivers in the pedestrian cars have it planned out to know where they're gonna go so that nobody died because they're, like I said, they're driving up to almost 120 miles an hour on these these streets. Right. That is crazy. And then, not not including the the actual camera operators on the Corvette next to him, driving back and forth. Right. And those cameras were big. They were filming with film. They weren't right. filming digital. So, uh, if you, right. you watch the making of this movie, it's really cool the way they have the Corvette like stripped down and then these big cameras on there. And that must have been such a rush, just filming it. You know, you had the wind on your face. Oh, you're just my like, gosh. Yeah. like, that would have been so cool to be <laughs> in the making of this movie
1: right and even just being even the shots from inside the charger and the and the mustang yeah that's a big camera a dude manning that camera inside the car as that car is flying at you know over 100 miles an hour yes or even doing 70 or 80 on some of those curvy you know streets in san francisco i mean that's that's bonkers
0: oh yeah absolutely i mean i've driven in san francisco as of you and like Those streets are straight down and straight up. Yeah. (laughs) And so just that's the sequences where they're – okay, so the the part I talked about before uh, when they're just slamming down when they're going down the hills and it's just like bam and then they're clearing and going down. Anytime they hit, they could have spun out and just like gone a different direction. Like it's – the craftsmanship is great. I mean we talked about The Rock last year and how they had that – that's that big stunt scene that was on one street predominantly going down straight downhill and right. michael bay said that was the worst part of the movie was just getting the permits for that this they shot for 3 freaking weeks and the mayor was just throwing stuff at them being like you yeah. do whatever you want so they had so much creative freedom to do what they wanted in this film like i i'm i'm pretty sure like the main thing they wanted they didn't get was just filming on the golden gate bridge and that's that's pretty amazing you know right Oh, one more thing too where uh, time's kind of starting running away from us but um, Steve McQueen and Bill Hickman they went out on the raceway and they were practicing driving inches away from each other at speeds over 100 miles an hour so they get comfortable driving real close to each other and they did that for a while so they were really comfortable. Uh, doing the the stunt chases and so I just thought that was pretty freaking cool. There's some really cool behind the scenes oh. footage of Steve McQueen like right. driving and he puts his hand out and he pats the car next to him and they're like laughing and
1: it's just it's freaking cool. Dudes, let some legit legit dudes in this movie. I mean, not just as actors but as true professionals in their craft and in, in their their other um, interests, as in you know, race car driving or yeah, just
0: phenomenal phenomenal it's awesome so uh, yeah let's roll into final final thoughts real quick josh i pretty much summed up what i wanted to say what about you
1: uh me too man it's as you know like we were saying all the procedural stuff is is actually really cool about this movie but let's be honest, it's all about that car chase scene, and I think we beat it to death, so I feel good about it. <laughs>
0: oh, yeah. I forgot to say, yeah, I watched the trailer for this. The car chase scene is all over the trailer. Robert Vaughn said that people repeatedly went to go see this film just to see the car chase, which is uh, It's about oh, yeah. an hour and 10 minutes into the film. and It's, and, uh, it's just... It's like six minutes long or something? It's 10 minutes and 78 seconds is what the car chase is. Mm. And I love, too, the fact... Oh, I forgot about that. Um, basically... I can't remember it was, but somebody showed Steve McQueen and another producer the movie uh, Robbery, which is a British film that came out the year before that Peter Yates had directed. And Steve McQueen loved how he filmed the car chase scene in that, which I think is like a 15 minute car chase, but it's not as epic as this one. And he, he liked it. So that's how they actually uh, um, hired Peter Yates, who then Peter Yates became right. a pretty uh, well-known director after that time in America. So this was like his first American movie. And I think it's his famous, most famous movie to date as well.
1: So Right. Yeah. And all thanks, a big part, to Steve McQueen saying, I want that guy
0: right. to direct this movie. Steve McQueen did have a lot of star power in putting this movie together. Absolutely.
1: Right. Well, it was his production company, which is yeah. cool. Oh, I forgot. Yeah. It's his first
0: movie that was his production company. You're right. All right, so let's do uh, final verdicts then, um, Josh. You think this movie? Um, what do you think? Did it hit the spot when it came out?
1: Yes, I think it absolutely hit the mark. It's an easy A, I would say, um, just on the box office, but also just from its reviews, um, it was very highly reviewed uh, when it came out. Right. So that's an A.
0: I agree. I gave it a. I give it an A plus. Uh, it just. I think it was a home run when it came out. It's just like, like, uh, we talked about before. It's a cool movie. It makes you feel cool watching it. Um, you just, you feel cooler after you watch the movie. You're just like, I experienced something like I, and it's cool. Right. Yeah. Let's see how many more times I can say cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is it still relevant today?
1: I would, I mean, historically speaking, yes. Um, I, uh, Congress actually added it to the, uh, that official list or whatever collection of, you know, most, uh, what's the word I am looking for impactful films in film history or whatever they have their I'm totally botching that, but it's definitely a very recognized film even to this day. Um, and obviously the, the car scene, as we've been saying over and over, it still holds up today very much. It's definitely the benchmark by every good car chase scene since then. Right. Um, uh, but even just for the procedural stuff, um, I think that's still, you know, when you watch it today, even by today's standards, you're like, wow, this is pretty legit. Like you said, you might get kind of lost or like kind of zone out because you're so used to having pretty accurate procedure procedural stuff done in, you know, new films and TV and stuff. But right. Uh, anyways, I digress. I guess I would, I don't know. I, this one's always a little bit hard for me to say because of, Uh, either cult status or historical status i mean is it it relevant today i mean the car scene absolutely um i don't know i guess overall i'm floating somewhere between a c plus and a b minus um i would say
0: for me i'm gonna give it i'm gonna give it an a actually is it still relevant and the reason i do is because if you're into film you know about this movie This movie is—it's the godfather of car chases. It—it's not like we're like, oh yeah, that was the first movie that had a car. It's like no, like car enthusiasts constantly. To still,
1: right, uh, still reference
0: this right? 2019, they re-released a new version of the of the Mustang, the Bullet Mustang, and so it's definitely there. around. Steve McQueen is forever an I- Hollywood icon, and um, like you said, the police procedural stuff, which doesn't get talked about a lot in this, but it's one of the first movies to do really serious police procedurals and does it well. And of course, the car chase scene is the I would say the most famous car chase scene
1: in cinema, honestly. I, I think it is i would say that too it's my favorite <laughs> right i th- i think the quality and like and like i was saying a big part of it is the audio the audio is very authentic right just ballsy man
0: yeah absolutely and so i gave it an a as it, is it still relevant because i think it's a juggernaut um in a f- of a film in itself
1: so um sweet yeah I'll, I'll i'll settle on a b then for that we'll we'll cut this Cut the di- split the difference there. <laughs> um, I'm like pulling you up. I'm like, come on. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, uh, per- like I said, it's always hard for me to to gauge that
0: well. But anyways, it is personal enjoyment. It is hard to gauge that. You're right, and we're gonna have to figure out a way to do like, is it relevant today? As in like, yeah, like pop culture, and then like film culture. So film culture. Yeah, I guess you're right. we should probably do like m- a- more film culture because we uh, talk about movies. There you go. Okay. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Personal enjoyment, Josh.
1: Okay, so uh, this is a little tricky for me. I give it, just as a, as a whole, I give it a C+. Plus. And I think part of it is because I'd seen it a few times, even though I really enjoy this movie, um, I give it a C+. Plus. But obviously, the car scene is an A++ plus plus for me. I mean, it is. I couldn't wait for it to get there. And like I said, my heart was racing by the time it was over, and I almost had to convince myself to pay attention to the rest of the movie because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was just so pumped about that scene. Oh yeah. So, uh, you know, I guess I guess if I'm going to combine the two, my my extreme love for the car scene, and then my kind of just above average enjoyment of the of the movie overall, we'll we'll settle on a B.
0: Yeah, I think I'm going to have to go with a B as well because, like you said, the movie is, is unfortunately, to today's standards, a lot of the movie is slow because it's went for so much realism. And, unfortunately, right. I don't feel like that actually holds up very well in today. But, of course, the car scene, um, yeah, can't talk enough about that awesome scene. If uh, if. Uh, if you watchers are have not seen this movie, and you're going to watch it again. Don't go into this movie expecting it to be like this crazy, uh, fast and furious, uh, epic car chase because that's more Hollywoodized. This is like a gritty. You're literally like on the side of the street watching two people racing, um, and it's it's intense. It's very different, yeah. and I would definitely recommend watching it and just really, really pay attention to the small details. It shows why it's so impressive. Um, because everything they do on screen, like I said, they're, the, the cars are not souped up, the drivers are that good, they right. make mistakes, and they keep going. It's That's why it's so cool. So, yeah, I give it a, a personal, Real deal. personal enjoyment for B as well, because I actually really enjoyed the showdown at the end in the airplane, the tarmac. I thought that was really cool.
1: Yeah, it is good, and I'm glad I... I mean, I'm glad, I obviously, I wasn't going to not finish the movie, but or not not finish, however you say that. Right. Um, but I had sort of forgotten that, oh, yeah, the ending is pretty cool. Like, it is intense. Right. There's some good foot chase scenes in this movie, too. They're just yeah. very overshadowed by the uh, car. <laughs>
0: right, very much. I like the hospital uh, uh, chase. I think that's really fun. Yeah. The music, when they have music, I love the soundtrack. It's so good. I swear that Ocean's very Eleven cool. was very much um, inspired by the style of movie. Um, which right. which is kind of funny, actually. Steve McQueen, unfortunately, had to turn down um, the Ocean's Eleven movie due to scheduling conflicts. Otherwise, he would have been in that, too. Uh, oh, he would have been amazing. I know, right? Okay, uh, and Midnight Watch.
1: Uh, so, yeah, this is another weird one for me. It is not a Midnight Watch for me, but you better believe it. If that car scene's about to be on, I'm watching it. If it's on... I'm going to finish the car scene, probably rewind it to watch the whole car scene. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yes. but
0: every other part, I don't know that I would finish it. I, I agree. It's not a midnight watch for me as well, even though I highly recommend this movie for film fanatics, uh, for sure. Because, um, yeah, but it's not a midnight watch for me as well. Well, uh, where did you see watch this movie, Josh?
1: Uh, I had to rent it on um, Prime.
0: Oh, Okay. I actually had an HBO subscription, so I, they had it on there, so I was able to watch it through that. So that was pretty cool. Nice. And I actually—it's funny—I do own this movie. I just because of, um, I me mean, having a baby, it's easier for me to just watch something on my phone now than popping the disc in. And so I—that's why right. I ended up watching it on HBO instead of watching them. But I do—I do own a hard copy of this movie. I definitely consider this to be, yeah, definitely a keeper for sure. And I, it makes
1: me want. Oh yeah, if you're. A f- If you're a film fan, you should definitely own this one. I mean, this is some amazing Hollywood history. And it, like we said, the the car scene still absolutely holds up today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, yeah. Thank you guys so
0: much for listening. Special thanks to our sound producer, Jake Colvin. If you had as much fun as we did on this episode, we would love it if you shared it with your family, friends, and any car enthusiasts that you think would like it.
1: That's right. And please subscribe, rate, review our podcast, uh, especially on Apple uh, Podcast. We're on Spotify also, YouTube and just about every other platform. Uh, please check out our Instagram and Facebook pages. We're also on Twitter. And uh, we'd love if you would join in the conversation on what is your midnight watch. And you can directly reach us at the Midnight watch Podcast at gmail.com.
0: Once again, thanks, everybody, for listening. You guys have a great, fantastic, awesome week. And as always, keep up the watch.